1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? Enjoyed the show. I also write songs. Our uh, lead singer just quit. Then you'll need someone new. I love the way you move on stage. The whole room belongs to you. Don't you see what you could be? No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. Do it again. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? Roger, there's only room in this band for one hysterical queen. Mark these words. No one will play a queen. Fortune favours the bold. Freddie, concerning your private life. What more do you need to know? I make music. I want to give the audience a song that they can perform. What's the lyric? Ready, Freddie? Let's do it. You need to slow down, Fred. I just need a bit of time. But if I don't have time? We're all legends.
Hello, everybody, and welcome to Is It Yours, the movie review program. I'm Paul Spataro, and this week I am joined once again by Mr. Chris Keith. Chris, welcome aboard again. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. We are talking today about Bohemian Rhapsody, a movie that opened up a week ago. And we both saw it, and I decided that it would, might be good to, to just discuss it. Uh, let, me, let me ask you, uh, start off with, what was your anticipation on this movie, and what was your level of fanhood of Queen coming into this? Well, my level of anticipation was pretty high. Um, I remember seeing, there was some talk about this movie, what was it, about two years ago, when it was going to be Sasha Baron Cohen playing uh, Freddie. And then that, you know, dissipated until, you know, nothing. And then I think I saw, uh, is it Rami or Rami or whatever, uh, Rami Malik on um, uh, Kimmel talking about the show a while ago and talking about how he had to apparently um, audition <laughs> in front of uh, Brian May and Roger Taylor. And then when we saw the trailer, it looked amazing. And I think I saw the, the second time I saw a trailer was, in IMAX, which is the way to see a trailer for this movie. And it was just on stage for Live Aid. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. I mean, I was already sold, but when I saw that, I was, you know, double sold. Now, as far as my uh, my experience with the Queen, I, wow. I remember watching, um, I vividly remember, there's nothing else that I remember about Live Aid, but I remember Queen. I, well, it's not true. I remember Queen remember Mick uh, asking for Tina Turner to come out on stage in the evening show. And then maybe a little bit of Phil Collins because he went from, um, from England to New York for the evening show. But the best part about the entire show was queen. And I have been like just a queen fan my entire life. I mean, there's, there's not a, not a day that goes by when I'm not sitting there listening to this stuff. I, I'm sitting there since this movie came out, I've sat there and, and gone on iTunes and spent an outrageous amount of money on concerts that are live on there just because there's not a better way to see Queen. So it's been one of those things that, you know, since the, <laughs> not just since the movie came out, but in anticipation of it, I've been just like reading everything, watching documentaries, and it's just been, it, it, it's borderline obsession. It's kind of sad. <laughs> well, I, I don't think I'm quite as obsessed, but I, I was hooked on this movie based on the trailer. I saw the trailer. I thought that looks like it's just going to be a lot of fun. It's really what it came down to. Uh, and we'll get to, I guess, as we're talking about the movie, we'll talk about whether or not it was fun. Uh, but just I saw the trailer. I, I, I thought it looked really good. And we decided, you know, we got to go see this movie. And we did. Uh, as far as Queen goes, I'm old enough to remember when Bohemian Rhapsody was a new song. And I was in elementary school at the time, and to be quite honest with you, I did not appreciate it at that time. It's eventually won me over that it's one of my favorite songs, but back in you know the mid seventies, I you know its its charm was lost on me at that time. I eventually came to like pretty much Queen's hits. I would say you know they, they're more they're deeper cuts. I'm not that familiar with, but but the songs that became hits. I like a lot, and I saw them at Madison Square Garden with some friends, oh, wow. I guess around 1980, I don't even know when, it, well, uh, Another One Bites the Dust was the hot new song at the time, so whatever year that was. We it was saw around 81, I believe, yeah. Wow. 
And they, they were really good. They were very, you know, very enjoyable. The biggest disappointment to seeing them in concert was the operatic section from Bohemian Rhapsody. They just piped, <laughs> they just piped that in. Oh, really? They, wow. they don't have, like, singers come out or anything. Because I wish that they should have a chorus come out and do it live. That that would be the way to do it. Get those guys from uh, from Pink Floyd, The Wall. Just have those kids come out. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. So they they don't though, and that that was a, that was the only real disappointment in the concert. Otherwise, uh, you know everything you see is pretty accurate. Freddie, Freddie Mercury had a tremendous amount of energy as a live performer. He had a way of engaging the crowd, uh, and and it was you know just a lot of fun to see them. Yeah, I wish I would have seen them live. It was it was interesting in the movie when uh, you know they mentioned. I think it was after the uh, was the video that was banned from MTV that is in the film, but. That oh. apparently is is accurate because yes. once once uh, it was banned, they uh, there was a I watched a documentary the other night and Brian was saying, yeah, after that we really lost the U.S. and we really never gained them back. So they never they never toured while Freddie was alive. And obviously, when Paul was the lead singer of the band, they were touring in America. But they really you know, after that it was you know European tours. You know they had what Wembley in '86, and I think they had a few you know notable. Uh, concerts in Europe and uh, South America, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was one of those that I was, I mean, when Live Aid occurred, I was 10. I, you know, I got up that morning, I remember watching those, gar oh God, those garbage Euro bands that were on early when it first started. And then um, I, I, it was funny because I, I totally misremembered um, Elton. Uh, I was convinced that he came out in the Donald Duck costume, but that was a different concert altogether. No, that was his live in Central Park concert. Yeah, that was it. And uh, I was, we were talking about it uh, the day of the, the show, and I was like, I'm pretty sure Elton came out. And then I, I pulled up on Live Aid and on YouTube and watched it. I'm like, no, he's completely different and looked like he was coked out of his mind. But um, that was Elton. That was 1985. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he I probably never, was. Never had, yeah, but I never had the opportunity to see him live, and it's like one of those things that you know. Every time you watch, I mean, you listen to you know their their studio albums, and you're like, you know, this is really good. But when you listen to it live, I mean, it was it was really. I've, I don't think I've ever seen a movie that captured it as well, where you actually see how. A, a, I mean, Queen was probably the only band, probably still the only band that could do that, where their ability to take over a crowd and command them. I mean, it wasn't, yeah, you have people that will, you know, talk back and forth to the audience. I um, mean, you know, all bands do that, but Queen, the way they did it, I mean, it was like, I, 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 you know, I've never gotten choked up at a Queen song, but I'm sitting there while they're at the very end, not to skip ahead, but when they're at the, at the, uh, at Live Aid, when they're playing, of all things, Radio Gaga, which is not exactly a, you know, a tear jerking song, but when, He's just everybody. I mean, there's what was it, 150,000 people in the stands that are all, or the in the in the field and the stands that are all responding just instantly. It's like, my God, that's just it, it's fascinating. I mean, there's just something stunning about watching how the command that that he had that the band had of these giant stadiums. And I mean, they mm -hmm. they briefly showed. I don't. Well, where were they earlier in the movie where they were doing um, uh, Love of My Life? And it would granted that wasn't when everybody was singing along and it was it was just it was almost like he was captivated by the fact that all the people in the stands were, you know, singing along with him. And it was lucky it was like he grasped the idea of mm -hmm. this is what it's going to be. But, you know, I was reading you know, like Rio, I believe, had like three hundred thousand people. And um, I work with uh, one of the attorneys that I work with. She was telling me that 
uh, she's from Argentina, and she said there's uh, there's tons of people in Argentina that don't speak a word of English, but they know the words to every single Queen song <laughs> because they they were you know, they were there or they listened to them, and it's like that's insane the the amount of command. And I mean, it was like I, I watched. It's been a while, but I watched a documentary about um, I think it was the Wembley concert, um, which is after this movie's uh, premise. But um, they were talking about how I guess. Uh, Deacon was a little worried about going out there because he was going to have to sing um, under pressure. And he's like, oh, and Freddie's just kind of like, oh, let's just go do it. It's no big deal. And it was, you know, 200,000 or 150,000, 200,000 people. And it didn't even bother him. And, you know, when you have, when you have a lead singer like that, who frankly could probably, you know, punch a hole in the back of the, the stadium with his voice, you're just kind of like, okay, um, yeah, okay, fine. We'll go out there and perform. Well, the way he's presented in the movie and I'm going to accept this as being accurate because it just appears to be. But it seemed like in his personal life, he was actually a shy, withdrawn person yeah. uh, for the most part and, and kind of lonely. Uh, but that once when he was on the stage, he would kind of come to life. And, yeah, and, and then it would just kind of take control of him and his personality. And, and that was, you know, like that was when he was yeah. truly alive. Yeah, that's uh, I've, I've read a lot. I'm, I'm actually in the process of reading a couple of biographies at the same two at the same time, which is weird. But uh, yeah, it was kind of that was the sense was that it was almost a persona of when he got on stage. It was, you know, it was a role for him and he was just relished it. I mean, it was it was just, you know, this is my this is my stage persona. I can get out there and I can do whatever. But yeah, behind the scenes. And that was kind of the you know, I, well, I'll, I'll get to that eventually. But the whole thing you know, with, uh, with the illness was, you know, he's, he was never the guy that was going to be, you know, outspoken and out there because it just wasn't his character. I mean, he was, he was quiet. He was, I mean, if you see it and he's just kind of, you know, to himself and, you know, part of it is because he was, you know, I mean, I don't know, part of it is because he's in the closet. Part of it is because he's, you know, his parents, he, you know, feels that his parents aren't going to appreciate what's, what's happening um and you know and look down upon him and you know his, i mean they they make a a clear point in the film that his dad was you know you know good deeds and you know uh and all this that his dad had an image for what his son was going to do and he was clearly disappointed up until the very end yeah they so definitely I, make that clear in the movie yeah and i i think part of that was you know i, I think that was like something that he dwelled upon and then you know i, I mean it was it was um, it was a good portrayal. I mean, there was a lot of. I mean, after reading a few things, well, more than a few things, um, you know, there's quite a few things that they left out. Quite a few things that they kind of skewed as far as um, you know how they skewed with timeline. Well, and that's something I want to talk about actually. Okay. Yeah. I it, it is a pet peeve of mine when movies are presented as being a biography or a true story to whatever extent, and they play a little fast and loose with the facts. Um, I don't mind the fact that you have to kind of guess at certain conversations that went on behind closed doors and that you have to kind of fudge that. And I don't mind that for the sake of simplicity, sometimes you combine some characters. So you'll have an amalgam of two people in real life who are portrayed by one in a movie. Um, but I don't really appreciate when they present things as being factual that just aren't, uh, and my understanding is, as of the point of live aid, Queen had not broken up yet, so they did right. not return. You know, they did not. This was not a, a comeback concert for them, and he didn't know he had age yet. 
Right. Well, there's more to it. Um, <laughs> there's actually more to it than one. He wasn't actually diagnosed with AIDS until 87. Two. So yeah, they never. They, yeah. They, uh, two years. Uh, two years later. They. Yeah. They actually. Yeah. Not only did they never break up. They make a big point out of um, quibbling because Freddie had a solo record, which they may have done that. But Roger had a solo album. Brian had a solo album, like a, I think in 84. And they're, both of them are garbage. I mean, they're awful. If you ever hear them, I, I recommend that you, you know, possibly consider deafness. But uh, and Freddie's album is terrible. Um, all of them were awful. I mean, they, they basically as a combined, you know, a combined group, they were perfect because they and he makes the point of mentioning it in the movie that, you know, these guys were all yes men for Freddie's album. They all did whatever he said and it didn't work. But yeah, I mean, like Brian May is a nerd. So his album was, it was, you know, listening to the description and then listening to it, it reminded me of Leonard Nimoy's album, <laughs> but not quite as terrible. But, you know, that was one. And then, uh, yeah, okay, the the, uh, the AIDS diagnosis. But, you know, the third, <clears throat> the point that <laughs> it didn't bug me, but I knew that something was bothering me in the back of my head was that they didn't say, um, please, please, Mr. Geldof, can, can, can we join Live Aid? Um, when Bob put together... Live Aid, um, the idea, the concept, he had a, a, a short list of the bands that he wanted. He wanted um, he wanted The Who, he wanted Zeppelin, he wanted U2, he wanted The Police, he wanted Queen, and, you know, uh, among the others. But uh, basically, they make it out like Freddie didn't know about it, which is nonsense. Freddie knew about it. Queen knew about it. They didn't want to do it. Freddie was actually... Freddie was actually pissed off because remember that uh, that awful song, uh, Do They Know It's Christmas? Yes, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, that one. He was pissed because Geldof didn't ask him to sing with everybody. I think it was uh, I know Sting was on there. I can't remember who else sang with that. I mean, it's a terrible song. But um, Freddie was mad because he wasn't included in that. So he was his feelings were hurt, and he wanted basically for Geldof to say, "Pretty please, come on and do this." So they knew about Live Aid. It wasn't like um, in the movie where Paul, you know, kept it from him. You know, he they knew about it. Um, and then basically Geldof had to call um, Queen's manager and go, look, man, come on, just tell the old Queen to come on out here. He's going to get to play in front of the entire world. And the fact that he was going to get to play in front of the entire world was it was what convinced uh, Freddie to do it. It wasn't this. I mean, take it out. And it, it's for a movie. I get it. It's a sense of nobility. <laughs> you know, you're doing the right thing. But it was really because, hey, I'm going to get to play in front of a million or a billion people. And that was the reality of the whole. Yeah, you're right. They do it all the time. Every I'm trying to think. I haven't seen that many biopics about you know musicians, but the ones that you've seen, they play fast and loose with the details all the time. Yeah, and I, and I don't appreciate that because you know what? More people are going to see this movie than are going to read the biographies or do the legwork to find out what reality is. So they're misre misrepresenting facts, and it, it bothers me a little bit. It, you know, because because you could make this story just as effectively and not tamper with the timeline. Yeah, you could. And it's you know it's interesting because I was uh, you mentioned <laughs> well I think we were talking before the show about uh, about Eastwood and it got me thinking and granted Clint I think well I've never seen the play or the musical of Jersey Boys but have you seen the movie Jersey Boys I've seen the play and the movie okay in the movie um, they you know there's a I mean the the one of the pinnacle moments of the movie is when his daughter dies and he sings Can't Take My Eyes Off You um, and they present it and it's like a number one hit. Well, Can't Take My Eyes Off You, if I'm not mistaken, came out in like maybe 1973, 1974. I think it's even early, earlier than that, actually. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, his daughter didn't die till like 1981. 
And, you know, I remember watching it and I'm like, you know, I, I, I get where you're going with this, but that kid was still alive for another seven years. Um, it was done for dramatic effect. And, you know, and, uh, I mean, I, to me, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take, a, it doesn't take away my enjoyment of, of this movie. I mean, I knew for a fact, it was like, right as he's telling them that he has AIDS, I'm like, okay, I know this isn't real. This didn't happen. I mean, some of the things like, you know, um, uh, like the microphone stand where he can't pull it out. And that's, you know, he finally shakes it out when he's on stage for the first time. And then all of a sudden that's what prompted him to walk around with half of a stand. There's no way in hell that happened, but it did kind of look cool. <laughs> it know? did. Yeah, it did look cool. Uh, yeah. You, I mean, you're probably 100% right about that. Uh, one criticism I've heard about the movie that I don't agree with is people have said uh, it's really bad to make a movie about queen and present Freddie Mercury as the villain of the movie. Now, I don't think he was the villain of the movie. I never saw him as the villain of the movie. But people are reporting it that way. Uh, to be honest with you, anything that could be interpreted as him being the villain of the movie, I think is counteracted by the press conference when they say, Freddie, you know, as the leader of Queen, what do you think about whatever? And he says, I'm the lead singer of Queen. I'm not the leader of Queen. We're all the same here. And I think that counteracts any thought of him being the villain of this movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you know, wow, really? People said that. Yes. Because to me, I read a couple know, of reviews. That's my my research for for today's show. Is I, <laughs> I watched the movie and I read a couple of reviews. I mean, I I don't see that. I mean, what I see from Freddie was, I mean, he was a he was a tortured. <laughs> I mean, to the extent he was tortured. I mean, he was like you know, for somebody who you know didn't you know to the I mean, I, I think he knew who he was. And I think Mary, uh, Mary, I don't know, Mary. Yeah, I think Mary knew who he was. Um, I think the guys in the band knew who he was. I don't think he had fully. And it's kind of like what Jim said. You know, once you finally love yourself, you know, we can have a conversation. You know, we can be together. Because this guy was like, I mean, not only it, it's not the case that he was just in the closet. He just, he really just did not like himself. I think I don't know if it was. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't just his. It wasn't just the sexuality. I mean, that's that's a that's a easy you know he, he his relationship with his parents was they didn't want him to be a singer they didn't want him to be they wanted him what did they want him to do i think they wanted him to go i mean probably be a you know an accountant or an yeah. engineer or something it was, like that. Well, at least that's but, what was presented in the movie was that it was something yeah, like that yeah but i mean this guy it was clearly yes is he is he troubled yeah and i mean it's 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 interesting to see how much if you look at and actually if you can look at it, I want to go back and see the movie again. I really need to just the look on Brian May's face at some of the times where I mean, you know, Roger Taylor has this disdain for him. But Brian is kind of looking at him like, look, man, we you know we love you. We need we want the best for you. And this guy is just so self-destructive while he's trying to basically, you know, for lack of a better term, sounds kind of new age, but try to find himself. And then when he does, he goes off the deep end. But no, I don't. I don't see him as a villain at all. I see him as you know, some as, as somebody who's so troubled, trying to find his place in in a group. And what was you know, I, I saw, I read a few things where people were you know going on and on about you know why why didn't they go on into greater detail after Live Aid? Because I mean, the band was together for another what six years, and they made three more albums. I mean, Freddie was diagnosed in '87. They churned out. I mean, some of their really good songs i mean i mean granted the 70s were fantastic but that next album was absolutely wonderful and the i mean i love the wembley concert we were watching it before the show uh, before we you know we got on this call um because it's fantastic 
But, you know, all the stuff that they, they did, it, it wasn't, you know, he, they make it in the movie like he breaks up, you know, he's breaking up with the group and leaving, and he's condescending to everybody and treating them all, and then coming back and apologizing. And then, oh, and then the, the point where they, you know, all share in the, um, in the royalty, so every song is going to be by Queen, not by the individual writer. Mm-hmm. Well, that didn't actually happen. That didn't actually happen until like 1989. So it looks good for the movie, but there was no, you know, point of, of you know coming back together because they never broke up. There was no apology because it never was, it never occurred. And I, the one thing I want to find out is if one thing I really want to find out is if did they really treat John Deacon like trash that bad in reality, or was this just for the mm-hmm. movie? Because that guy was treated like a stepchild the entire time in the film. I mean, he's he's criticizing everybody when he leaves the band, and he's like, you know, I can't think of a single thing about you because you're almost inconsequential. <laughs> but I mean, other than the fact the guy, you know, wrote another one bites the dust and under pressure. Well, at least the baseline. But now I I don't agree. I see him as being a villain. What I really see him as being is, you know, he I think he was in the process of trying to find himself. At least the way they portray it in the film. I think once he realizes and, and they make it out like it's it's because he finds out he's dying. And in reality, he you know, that wasn't the case. But I just don't see him as being, you know, that. I mean, yes, he's egotistical and he's vain. I mean, come on. Who wouldn't be? But I don't see him as being that petty. No, in fact, I think they show him in this movie as being extremely sensitive and uh, vulnerable. And in particular, I think of the scene when he he buys Mary the house next door to him, and he's talking to her on the phone, and he has he has them play this game where they turn their lights on and off so that they could see each other. That oh, that yeah. whole scene, I I thought that came off as particularly warm and emotional, even though there's no physical activity going on in it. Uh, and like I said, I thought it showed him as being a very very sensitive and vulnerable person. And then you see. And I guess this is a point where maybe we'll talk a little bit about the acting, because uh, I thought, what's his name, Rami Malek, who I'm not familiar with, uh, I thought he did a, a masterful job uh, with his facial expressions of conveying emotion, uh, in particular the, the scene that comes through, and maybe some people might see it as overacting, but I just thought it was really, really good, was when Mary comes over with her fiancé, and he has the realization that she's not going to just stay next door to him and be his, like, you know, friend and, and, you know, in his life that way yeah. anymore, uh, you know, things like that. Or even, you know, when he's talking to his father and you, and you look at his face, uh, you know, I thought there was a lot conveyed, uh, through his eyes, through his, you know, just his emotional acting, uh, which I think is especially hard when you're wearing prosthetic big teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, you know, that scene with the light, that was, that was so painful. I mean, it was just, just watching, and it, you know, you're right, because he doesn't say anything. He's just sitting there calling and uh, you know, clicking on the light, and especially when he clicks on it and she's not there later in the film, that he's just this sense of loneliness, and it's like, God, this is so just real. He struck and, me as like a little boy who's just lonely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, God, yeah, you're right. And, yeah, although you could tell a few times in the movie that um, those teeth were bothering him. I swear it looked like he was like moving his uh, moving his mouth because they were making him crazy. But yeah, but no, his I mean the facial acting that he had. I mean there are certain times in that film where he doesn't have to say anything, and especially when um, actually the probably the hardest part was when she comes to Munich and tells him that she's pregnant, and 
you know, he, he's kicking her out, doesn't want to have anything to do with her. And then he goes out there in the rain and he, it, it's this sudden realization. But I mean, yeah, you're right. He wanted her. He, he didn't want her in that way, but he wanted her to be right beside him the whole time, basically to be almost like a nun, almost like a chaste um, object that he could just have there with him as his friend while he could do whatever he wanted to do. And then she had to stay. I mean, it was, it was you know, it's selfish to him. But then it, that that scene when he's out there at the cab, it's like all of a sudden this realization, you know, she's going and then he's realizing what, you know, kind of an idiot he's being as, you know, she's leaving. And then that's when he kicks Paul to the curb. So that was, mm-hmm. you know, it was it was that was the growth point in the film, finally. And then you realize, OK, everything's going to kind of transition from there. Yeah. Definitely, I, I like, and I, like I said, I, I think the act, I think his acting was terrific in it. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know if we're talking like Academy Award nomination good, but just for me, I thought it was really good. Uh, according to a couple of my friends, he's going to be best actor, but I don't know about that. I, I, I think he was really solid. Um, and I, you know, I, as I was telling my wife as we're leaving the theater, I'm like, you know, there are moments in that film where I totally forget that this is an actor and it's not Freddie Mercury. I mean, yeah. other than the fact that he's only five foot, you know, five foot nine or something like that, as opposed to six foot. So, but you know, it, it, you don't notice that on the stage. I mean, he, you know, the mannerisms, I mean, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a second. The live aid performance was, you know, was phenomenal. And I, I'm sitting there watching that and just realizing that, you know, this is, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's an actor performing something that happened 30 years ago and 33 years ago. And it is on every single step, every single motion is exactly the way I am. Not only do I remember it, but we came home after the film and we pulled it up on YouTube and I'm like, Oh my God, this guy's everything about it is dead on. I mean, yeah, it's not like you're watching, a, I watched it on YouTube also. It's like you're watching the same footage all over again. Yeah, I mean, it was it was phenomenal, and it was like that. You know, I mean, the, the, I mean, first off, I, I love the music, but you know, once you get to, I mean, the way they set it up, I love the way they set it up. You know, him him coming to Wembley, and you know, it, I mean, they had the sunglasses and all this, and he's walking up the stairs, and then you look at the piano, and the damn piano had the Pepsi cups exactly where they were placed in '85, mm-hmm. and the beer right there. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me! I mean, this is the attention to detail is ridiculous, and you know him you know and you know i made a note about this yeah um you know i was i was talking about biopics you know about you know the other ones that i've seen i haven't seen a ton but as far as musical biopics go i mean i've watched uh in the last because i'm a movie dork in the last like you know few months i've watched um uh the james brown one which was interesting um jersey boys about sixty thousand times because my son loves it um and then for some reason just to torture myself i watched the doors (laughs) <laughs> and you know it's like and to compare it's like okay of those of those three and then this movie we'll go of the three okay um get out uh, get get out get back get back get on up get, uh whatever the um whatever the james brown one with uh with chadwick boseman he is he becomes james brown it's great and i don't know enough about james brown to know if he's you know if he's mugging or not so we'll leave that one out jersey boys <clears throat> if you you've seen it um if you watch when they're on stage, Frankie Valley is actually dancing and they're all moving around and choreographed and all this. And it looks really great. And then I went back and watched like Ed Sullivan and they're standing still and Frankie is snapping his fingers and it's like, wow, okay. You kind of got that wrong. And the one that makes me sick to my stomach and to this day is the doors because for some reason, um, Oliver Stone apparently never watched, uh, the doors on Ed Sullivan. Because if you remember watching when he sings Light My Fire, you know, they tell him to change the words. 
And if, right. if you remember watching it, actually, he just kind of looks and kind of, you know, kind of a smug look on his face and, and sings the actual, we can't get much higher. But in the movie, he like gawks at the camera, jumps forward, and it's, it's like so overacting and mugging for the camera. And I remember thinking when we we're watching this film, I was like, you know, the best part about this is every single time that Remy Malik is on stage, there's no mugging. Everything looks like Freddie would actually act on stage. I mean, even not just not just Live Aid, but any of the performances that they show. I mean, I've seen, I've got, God knows, I've watched enough live uh, Queen videos or Queen performances. It's just natural. Everything about it is natural. It's like this guy, I mean, he had to have done his homework to sit down and go through every single, you know, concert just to make sure it doesn't feel like he's trying to be Freddie. He's just Freddie. And it was like, I was like, this is amazing. And then especially when you get to, to Live Aid, and every single part of that performance is exactly what Freddie did, but it felt natural. It wasn't like he was trying to, you know, it wasn't stunt acting. It wasn't like he was gawking or, you know, making a spectacle out of himself. It's just, this is exactly how it was back then, and I'm going to do it, you know, note for note, you know, step for step. It was almost like a choreographed dance move. And I was amazed because, like I said, you, you watch some of these other ones, and you've got people that are overacting or, you know, making a production out of something that wasn't a production and then you have this where this guy it's like this guy i mean he he won't win best actor for this but i think the guy's got some solid talent and then it was interesting because um you know i was reading that you know he, they said he was he had to, when he had to try out he had to sing but you know it's clearly not him singing no no they used the original uh freddie mercury recordings yeah, they and they apparently tweaked it a little bit where they took like um, like isolated Freddie audio and then they took like live tracks and blended it. Some I, they started talking and I I got tired head because I didn't understand what they were saying. But uh, essentially they took like the best of the bunch. So you you double tracking it where it sounded great and you know I had a, a few people saying, well, no, he sounded really good. I'm like, well, of course he sounded really good. That's Freddie Mercury. It's not this guy. <laughs> I mean, nobody, and it was reading that one article, and they're like, look, man, you don't understand. Freddie Mercury had like a one-of-a-kind voice. There's no way that this kid who's been on, what, Mr. Robot, can just step in <laughs> and take over this role. I mean, yeah, he but, can act like him, but he certainly But when like they him. played the Freddie Mercury vocals, you believe, you know, it was believable that that was coming out of him. Uh, Absolutely. E even based on his speaking voice. It, it wasn't, you know... We we actually have a recording that's going to be posted later than this, yep. where we uh, we did Back to the Future myself and uh, J, J David uh, Weeder, uh, yeah. and I I criticized when they play Johnny Be Good at the end that there's no way that that vocal sounds like it could be coming out of Michael J Fox. <laughs> this doesn't have that, you know, not at all. But I got to say. Uh, one of the issues I have with the movie, and I feel like I'm bringing up negatives on a movie I enjoyed very much, but well, whatever, we're doing the criticism here. Uh, yeah. I thought the directing lacked a little bit as far as the pacing of the movie went, because I thought when they were singing and when they were performing, it would reach really high levels, and then it would drop down and it wouldn't reach high levels again unless they were singing it. Uh, and I really feel like like it seemed like it was paced a little poorly at some points. I can see that, and I'm I'm kind of curious as to how much was actually done before um, Brian Singer got fired versus um, because they replaced him with uh, what's his name? Uh, it's the the guy that played Soap in uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. His name is escaping me. Um, but yeah, they uh, Brian Singer got fired, I think, in January of this last year because he, uh, I guess, he threw something at Remy Malik, 
And um, he apparently, like, I, I guess threw something at him. I was reading an article about it on, uh, I don't remember what, what page it was. I think it was Variety. And they're like, yeah, they, he threw something at Remy Malik. Remy Malik, who is known as one of the most likable people in Hollywood. And it's like Brian Singer, who, well, is probably it's still being is investigated. not one of the most likable people in Hollywood. <laughs> probably still being investigated for uh, something or other. But, um, but yeah, um, so he was kicked to the curb. And then the, the guy that stepped in, what is his name? Um, oh, it's going to kill De- me. Dexter Fletcher. Dexter, Dexter Fletcher. Fletcher. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, Dexter Fletcher took over, so I don't know to what extent the film was already done, and it was basically just for him to wrap it up. I know they said that they the part that they filmed first was um, Live Aid, so the entire performance on stage, which, you know, that's great. But uh, yeah, you're right. There are parts of it that are, are slow, and um, there's not a lot of energy to it. I mean, and then you've got, you know, the whole... And, and granted, that may be a reality, but the whole thing when they were in Germany, or when... Uh, when uh, Freddie's in Germany with Paul is just a mess. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I, there, there are parts of it that, you know, I'm sure on a second watch, I'll probably just absolutely, you know, say, well, this, this just didn't quite do it for me. And, um, but, you know, I still get about 20 minutes of live aid. So, <laughs> yeah, well, no, on, on the, you know, I, and I've given some negatives well, on the positives, whether it's directing, acting story, whatever, uh, I feel like from a positive end, I, like I said, I really liked Remy Malik's acting. I really felt like the character was presented as a very sympathetic party. And I'll, I'll tell you, I had no real knowledge of Freddie Mercury's background. I always thought he was just British. <laughs> I had no idea of his heritage. I had no idea of his history, how he got to you know the point he did. I didn't know anything. All I knew was the songs and I saw him in concert and I thought it was a fun show. And that's really, that was the extent of my knowledge. Um, so to the extent that this story is accurate and I can't speak for that, to be honest with you, uh, to the extent that it's accurate, I think it presents him as a very likable and sympathetic person. Uh, despite some people saying he's the villain of the piece, uh, and the music scenes just really are so, they're so engaging that oh, yeah. it just makes the whole movie, you know, like you want to see it again, just just to see the the music pieces, which are going on throughout it. They did, you know, again, we talk about the timeline. I did think they had some stuff out of sequence. I'm trying to remember, like, they had them playing Fat Bottom Girls before that album would have ever come out. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, stuff like, you know, like stuff like that bothers me a little bit, but I, I guess I could get over it. Yeah. No, I, I you know, and... There are certain things about it, you know, I was like, I was, I was sitting there while I was sitting in the theater realizing that the timeline doesn't quite line up. And, you know, there's a few things that were, were, were kind of quirky, but, you know, when, I mean, it was, it was the little stuff that I just absolutely love. Like when they, when they're putting together, we will rock you. Yeah. And you realizing this is ridiculous. This is how they did it. And I mean, I was, I had a grin on my face the entire time they were, they're recording Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, there was something about it that was just so, so fascinating. And then the fact that, I mean, the fact that they actually had Mike Myers in there as, I mean, that's total stunt casting that mm-hmm. I approve 100%. Because, and it was funny because, you know, at the end of the movie, when they have the little, um, the little mention of Bohemian Rhapsody was what, number one after Live Aid, 16 years after it was released. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you guys mention that it was number one, uh, you know, after Wayne's World came out? Because, yeah. That, that, like, you know, jump-started that song, and that was, what, a year after Freddie died? Yeah, we're probably looking at it going up to number one again for a fourth time now. 
Uh, pretty sure. Yeah. As, as far as that. And I mean, I've, uh, I've got Apple music. So I've been listening to the, sorry, the sponsorship. Uh, but no, I, uh, I've uh, got the entire album and I've been listening to it like ad nauseum for about the last, you know, two days. And it's well, not the last two days since Saturday. So it's, it's been just obsessive and that, and, you know, every single live track I can find a queen just because it's, you know, I, I mean, I already listened to it to begin with. I, it's funny. I run, all the time and i had that on my playlist and it's like you know i've got um queen live at wembley just about every fast-paced song on there just so i can run with it because it's it's that good and it's you know it was funny because you know it, it's kind of peripherally mentioned in the movie especially with with regard to bohemian rhapsody where the critics weren't just you know in love with it they're like oh it's just self-indulgent crap and all this and like well okay but people loved it and you know it, it, it's like a thing you know it's like you've got certain bands i mean they're not the beatles i mean i i love queen i mean they're in my top five i, I put them beatles stones probably behind the who so yeah probably number four uh and then the police you know to round it out but um yeah they're a they're a band that is that you need to hear them live and i wish to god i would have had the opportunity but i was too damn young and it drives me crazy and i mean i still remember like i said i remember waking up at you know eight o'clock in the morning because i knew live aid was coming on to watch it all day long and i ate that up and i was like i didn't know a thing about queen at the time i mean i'd heard I'd heard another one bites at us. I'd heard we are the champions, but I never heard radio Gaga, which I thought that was amazing. I still, I, to this day, I love that song. Uh, I'd never heard Bohemian Rhapsody back in that, back at that time. Um, crazy little thing called love. I don't think I'd ever heard. So, um, and which was interesting because they left off, we will rock you. And they left off crazy little thing called love from the, um, the live aid performance. Those are the only two songs they left out, but everything else was intact. But, you know, I obviously heard we are the champions. All of that was, you know, something that I was familiar with. But just to watch it live on stage, and it was just the way, you know, the way somebody could just capture a crowd to the point where everyone is just transfixed on this person. And that was, it was funny because I was reading another article that was saying that uh, allegedly Elton was like pissed because Queen was basically stealing the show and <laughs> was running backstage and mad. I'm sure he was probably mad because he was out of cocaine. But, um, you know, it was it was one of those things where, you know, this was a, a once in a lifetime, you know, once in a lifetime performance. It'll never happen again. And, you know, it, for them to and especially in the movie, for them to capture that. I mean, it seriously felt like that. I seriously felt like I was 10 years old again watching it. And I was like, I was just grinning the whole time. I was like, I got 20 minutes of my life that I get to see something that totally makes me feel like I'm 10 years old. And it was like it, it's the equivalent of, um, you know, of going to see Star Wars um and making you feel like you're you know you're a kid when you walk in there and I, that's kind of how i felt in the theater i was like this is amazing and I, I i i love this experience and and because of that it probably raises the uh <laughs> raises my appreciation of this film and when, you know when it comes out for uh when it comes out to buy i'm gonna be like well i, I want to buy it but i really want to see it again in imax <laughs> now uh just out of curiosity what what did uh, young chris think of it I brainwashed him, um, so he loved it. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I do know from our prior conversations that you've exposed him to music that your average youngster doesn't hear. Yeah, uh, it was funny because I was on a I was at a conference for the last two days, and I get home and I've got Band on the Run sitting on my uh, turntable because apparently he was playing records last night or the night that I was out. So yeah, he uh, he he's been listening to uh, the appropriate kind of music, but yeah, he 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 thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, it was one of those that I mean we we've, we've been listening to this for quite some time. Um, 
he's he's a huge fan of uh of, of the one the one album that was not um that was not on the movie which you know kind of makes me sad my one my other criticism was there was no mention of flash gordon but uh <laughs> yeah, i was a little i was a little surprised that they didn't hit on that because you would think you could you could do a good scene with them with them just coming up with that song uh and and just you know how they went about scoring it and everything i i, I would think you could add in a you know some interesting things there. And again, that, that goes to my thoughts about they could have made it a little bit more biographical. Yeah. I mean, there's, there was a, there's a potential for a whole montage scene that they left out of the film that I think that would have, uh, it would have been better served to have that in there. I mean, they had a montage. I mean, they had, you know, a couple of montage scenes in the film, but yeah. you know, it's like, I you wonder, left out. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking out loud okay. now, but I wonder if the, uh, if flash Gordon could be a rights thing since that oh. is in another movie. That's that may not point. be under the same rights availability as as the other Queen songs are. You're probably right. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Huh. In yeah. which case, you can't criticize them if you know if, if they couldn't get access to the to the rights to have it in the movie. Yeah, just you know maybe sneak Timothy Dalton on the screen or well, I'm sure you could get Sam Jones. He's cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe yeah. not. Ever since he appeared in Ted. <laughs> Ever since Ted, he's he's for hire. Yeah. Oh, you know the, you know we didn't talk about the the one, one thing that that bugged me leading up to the film um, was, and it's funny it 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 always bugs me is the whole criticism. I mean, remember they criticized the first trailer because they didn't make a huge point about his sexuality, which uh, my here's my whole take on the whole thing, and that was what, what kind of really bugged me was you know reading and knowing all this stuff about the person is you know. Freddie, Freddie found out in '87 that he had uh, he had AIDS. Um, and watching a couple of documentaries over the weekend, he was basically he knew he was dying. <clears throat> he knew he was dying. He was actually uh, the show must go on, which they didn't have in the film. It's on the soundtrack, which is really a great song. But he was actually recording vocals, um, just vocals, knowing that these songs will never be made in his lifetime up until he passed away. And I mean, it was like in 91 when he died, he had uh, their, their last album post Freddie's death was vocals that he had recorded leading up to his death, knowing that he was going to die. And he, you know, I think he had, I don't know if it was a press conference or it was just an interview that he did like the day before he died when he announced, Hey, I've got AIDS and you know, that's it. And you had all these people, and I was reading all these articles, which drove me crazy, of all these people that were basically projecting onto this guy, going, well, why aren't you making a bigger deal about this? And I was like, well, because he didn't. He wasn't He wasn't the spokesman for a generation. He even makes the point he doesn't want to be the, in the, the scene where he tells the band. He didn't want to be a poster child. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, he wanted to create, which is what he did up until he died. And, you know, it was like, and it almost, it, to be honest, it, it frankly offended me that these people were pissed about it because they were projecting their, you know, they wanted this guy to be their spokesman. And it's like, well, first off, this man's been dead since 1991, which is what, 27 years ago. Um, that was never his agenda. You know, if you want, the, if you want somebody to be your spokesman, this wasn't your guy. This wasn't John Lennon who was going to mark. March in the street with a megaphone, you know, protesting about this. He's not going to be leading pride marches. This guy was so private, which it's very self-evident in the movie that he's private. And, you know, to himself, when he's not on stage, he's very humble. He's very quiet. You know, yes, he gets in in the wild parties that he had, but that was almost like a cry for help is what you feel like it and it's essentially what you feel when he's talking to jim at that party when everybody left and he realizes all these people are just leeches and he needs somebody he needs a friend 
and these people aren't his friends. So he's, you know, he's not <laughs> your spokesman for a, for a generation. He's the guy that, you know, really just wants to be a creator, be an artist. And he's realizing, hey, you know, I've got a, a, a bad stroke of luck and now I'm dying. But I don't want this to be a public deal. And it, it really bothered me. These people are like, well, they're, they're sh what I think the term was straight washing. And I'm like, well, no, they made it. They made it perfectly clear in the movie that he was gay. It wasn't. It wasn't like it was masked. But they did. It's not. Um, what's the show? Uh, queer. Uh, queer as folk. That 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 wasn't the point. The, 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 it was about the band. It's about the music. And yeah, they they covered it. But they're not trying to. It's not an agenda driven movie. Which he well, was not an agenda driven guy. I think you know. I mean, Brian Singer is, from everything I understand, an advocate for gay rights. And you know, like him or dislike him, it doesn't matter. I think that is part of his agenda. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I think his goal in the way he presented this movie, and I think it does, as far as I know, line up with Freddie Mercury's actual desires and personality, is to present the fact that he was gay in a matter-of-fact way mm -hmm. and not make it into, oh, look, this is a bizarre thing, because right. that's not how we're supposed to view that. You know, we, we are... In a more enlightened age, and I, I have to be careful with my words because I don't want to say something stupid, but we're in a more enlightened <laughs> age where such things are looked at as being part of the normal society now, where it used to be, you know, uh, you know, people would be ostracized for it. Right. But now it, it's, you know, people have, have are more, again, more enlightened. They, they've come to an understanding that this these, these are normal people and this is just... You know, they have a, a slightly different lifestyle. I, I don't even think it's lifestyle anymore. I think it's just, right. you know, I, I just think they, they are, they're with who they're with. That's all it really comes down to. Uh, again, yeah. I'm just trying to say it the right way. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm a little, getting a little tongue-tied because I don't want to offend anybody. Uh, right. But I think that's kind of what Brian, Brian Singer was trying to show in the movie was this isn't an abnormal thing. And it's right. not something that needs to be presented as being... Uh, you know, revolutionary. At least that—that's yeah. the impression I got out of it. Yeah, it, it, he's and amazingly enough, Brian Singer was you know straightforward about it because it is what it is. He is who he is, and that's that's it. I mean, it, there's nothing more to it. There's no there's no agenda. There's no you know he he's not you know he's not a spokesman for the generation. He's Freddie, and I appreciated that. And it was like amazingly reading these criticisms of it, and I was like, guys, you're you're wanting something that is not this person, you know, find another person that, that that would be the case. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's who they are, but that's not who this man was. It, you can't recreate history. I mean, he is this guy, you know, he, this is how he lived his life. You, you can't recreate his life just to make it fit your needs. And that's what really bugged me because I, like I said, there was more than a, uh, more than a few people that I've seen that were just, you know, up in arms about the fact that it wasn't more, you know, like it, it wasn't focused strictly on, you know, post 1987 when he found out he was diagnosed HIV positive or that he had full blown AIDS. And it's like, well, that wasn't the point. You know, yes, it's, a, it's an afterword, but the point was the band. The point was the group. The point was the music. The point was the journey to get there. The point was, you know, him realizing who he was. That's the film. And that, to me, was the way you should. I mean, that, 
I'm just, you know, speaking for <laughs> a person who's been dead for, you know, 27 years, but I think that was what the message he would have wanted. And I'm fairly sure it's as much as I've read about Brian May and Roger Taylor, that was what they were trying to protect was, you know, queen because they were respecting his wishes as opposed to just, you know, I mean, they, they never stepped out and tried to, you know, make something out of, out of this whole thing that wasn't there. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree. I, I think, uh, I think people look for stuff sometimes, and are a little unreasonable in the fact that they want everybody to take up their agendas. Yeah. For what it's worth. Yeah. Absolutely. So, any anything else in your notes on this? Uh, no, I think I've got. Let me double check. Um, other than the fact that they they played Seven Seas of Rye at Top of the Pops, but that's kind of phenomenal. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Already talked about Brian Singer throwing something at him. Um, already ripped on the doors. Um, I really thought that the guys who played Roger Taylor, Brian May, and John Deacon, not only did they look just like him, but some of their mannerisms were so dead on, it was amazing. I mean, it's like, how do you find these guys to look so much like the band? It was insane. And then his pa- at the very end, they showed pictures of his parents, and the actors who played his parents even looked like his parents, which was yeah. just absurd at at the end you know they did the traditional you know where they show the different people and kind of tell you what's happened to them and then they showed some live footage or or various live footage of uh the band and it was you know i mean i i know what freddie mercury looks like and i saw what the resemblance and how how spot on that was during the movie but i really didn't remember everybody else and what they looked like so uh yeah i remember just as as the credits were rolling, uh, I was uh, marveling at how how terrific I thought the casting was. Yeah, because usually when they do that, I mean, you'll get like a there was a what was that movie um, Backbeat where um, the guy that played John Lennon and the guy that played Paul McCartney looked pretty darn close to the real people, but they weren't the best actors. Whereas these guys were pretty solid. I mean, it was I mean the guy that played Brian was was a solid actor, and the guy that played Roger was was really good well he was in he was in um x-men apocalypse not that that's something you'd want to something you'd be happy about but um he was i thought he was really good in this movie so yeah i i, I think that you know overall the the casting was great and i'm you know like i said when it comes out um my last comment is when, it, when it comes out on video i'll go ahead and have to buy it but i really would probably be better served going to see it in imax again just because it was so much fun well, it's one of one of the pleasures of the day and age we live in now, though, with the big screen TVs at home and high resolution and the great sound systems. It's not IMAX, but it's better than what we had at home years ago. Very true. Very true, indeed. <laughs> so now we get to the pivotal question of the night, Chris. All right. Is it yours? <sighs> you know, if I were to take the movie as... Everything up until the last 20 minutes, I would probably say Jaws 2. But I'm a little biased um, because that Live Aid performance was so stellar (laughs) that I – and yes, I'm biased and completely swayed and ridiculous. But that last 20 minutes totally sold me on the whole movie. Um, I'm going to go ahead and be ridiculous and say that I think it's Jaws. Oops. Uh, <laughs> and that's the response. Yeah, no, I didn't fall out of my chair. Uh, I uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to go Jaws on it. Uh, I'll tell you, without the music, 
I think this would be a very solid Jaws three, and I think the the music, the you know the music uh, pumps it up to the point where it's it's a Jaws two in my mind. I, I think the music scenes really uh, really bring it up. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And on a rewatch, I'd probably downgrade it. But as of you know, about four days in, um, I mean, with its flaws and with its its timeline problems, and you know. The factual inaccuracies, yeah, I should be more um, more critical, but it's just, like I said, the little things about him on stage mugging in front of a BBC camera and just uh, attacking the cameraman and every little thing that I remembered. And then wa- coming home and watching it on YouTube that night and just going, this is ridiculous that this man, this actor who's, I mean, granted, he's he's not a child. He's like 37 years old. But the fact that he... He he grabbed every single little nuance of that performance and translated it on the stage and recreated it. Just totally did it for me. And what I would recommend, first of all, I would recommend that people see this movie. I think it's it's just a solid movie and it's worth seeing. But I would also recommend you go on YouTube and watch the Live Aid performance. If you've seen the the movie already, watch it and just marvel at how close it is to what you saw in the movie, uh, or how what they did in the movie is so close to it is probably a better way to say it. And if you haven't seen the movie yet it's just a primer to get you excited about seeing the movie (laughs) absolutely i cannot recommend this film enough and yes youtube check that one out and then check out the wembley concert and then yeah which is also available on youtube (laughs) yes it is or you can buy it on itunes for a low low price of oh sorry (laughs) (laughs) so i want to thank you for coming on with me chris this was fun this was absolutely fun Thank you so much for having me. No problem. I think uh, next time around we're slated to hit a few good men. That That's sounds so I... bad when worded that way. Yes, <laughs> but, but, uh, okay. but that that'll be the next time uh, we get together to talk about a movie in all likelihood. That sounds great. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you have any thoughts about the movie, about the show, uh, about movies you'd like me to cover, uh, the email address is jawspodcast at gmail.com I could also always use iTunes reviews. Thank you everybody for listening and see you in two weeks.
Mamma mia, let me go, be a simple 